And it's through the generosity of God's people that God uses the generosity of his people to advance the mission of the gospel. That right now, there are people all over the world preaching Christ, planting churches, making disciples because of the generosity of God's people. And we see it even throughout the scriptures. We look at a man named Theophilus, uh, in Luke chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, we see that he is a, a wealthy man who is probably financially undergirded the writing ministry of Luke, where he writes the gospel of Luke in the book of Acts. We see the generosity of the, of the church at Philippi, who financially supports the preaching ministry of the apostle Paul while he, while he was in prison. We even see the financial generosity of women, women like Mary Magdalene and Joanna, and Susanna and many other women who financially supported Jesus and his disciples in the ministry that God had called him to. You see, God loves to display his generous character through the generosity of his people. That we who have been overwhelmed by a generous God and his generous gospel calls us to become like him in our own generosity. For the next three weeks, we're going to take three, a three-week series, a three-week sermon series. We're going to look at the generosity of God that he has shown us in Jesus in this idea of a sermon series called Open-Handed. We're going to see in the scriptures where God raises up people to be open-handed and generous in their giving. Now, before we unpack the text, there's a big idea I want all of us to grab hold of, and it's this. Generosity is not about a dollar amount, but the Godward posture of your heart. Generosity is not about a dollar amount, but the Godward posture of your heart. That it's about your heart. Your heart being so enraptured by who God is and what he has done for you in the gospel. Through the work and love of his son on the cross. And it compels you to be open-handed and generous with all of your life. This morning we're going to look at two brothers. Two different offerings. Two different types of hearts. And we're going to see where the gospel is on display through the generosity of one of his own people. Let me show you. Grab your Bible and turn with me to Genesis chapter 4. Genesis chapter 4. As you're turning there, Genesis, is a, if you're new to the Bible, it's the very first book of the Bible. In fact, the word Genesis means beginning. It all begins there. You can open your cover in your Bible, in your Bible and Genesis will be the first book that will meet you there. We see in Genesis chapter 1 where God created the heavens and the earth in six days. And he made the cosmos, he made the waters, the mountain, the animals, the fish, the birds of the sky, and the land animals. And the apex over, over all of creation is where God makes mankind. You get to Genesis chapter 2, God gives us a deeper look at how he made Adam and Eve where God goes on record in Genesis 2 of his design of gender, his design of sexuality, and his design of marriage, where God made one man and one woman in the covenant of marriage, living together to glorify him in the covenant of marriage for life. And we see the beauty of marriage and God's design of the first couple. But when we get to Genesis chapter 3, we see where everything goes south. 
a terrible turn of events takes place where our first parents, Adam and Eve, they eat the fruit that was forbidden for them to eat. They choose to disobey God and with it comes consequences. Death, destruction, disease, divorce, a terrible um, influx of evil enters into the world through the disobedience of our first parents. But God makes a promise. In Genesis chapter three, verse 15, he says, he's going to send the seed of the woman who's going to crush the head of the serpent. And in that is the promise that God is gonna make that one day that man would come, that seed would come and crush the serpents. But until then, Adam and Eve had to leave the garden. They are sent out of the garden of Eden. They are sent out. And we see in Genesis chapter four, they begin their new family. And in Genesis chapter four, beginning with verse one, the scripture says this. The man was intimate with his wife Eve, and she conceived and gave birth to Cain. She said, I have had a male child with the Lord's help. She also gave birth to his brother, Abel. Now Abel became a shepherd of flocks, but Cain worked the ground. In the course of time, Cain presented some of the land's produce as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also presented an offering, some of the firstborn of his flock in their fat portions. The Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but he did not have regard for Cain and his offering. Cain was furious, and he looked despondent. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you furious, and why do you look despondent? If you do what is right, won't you be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is stingy giving, from a selfish heart. Stingy giving from a selfish heart. The text tells us that Cain did not bring his first fruits. He did not bring his best. He only brought, verse three, some of his crop. He gave from a heart that was not full of gratitude or or joy, but a posture of selfishness and pride. How do we know this? Well, look at his self-absorbed attitude. You see it in verse five. When God showed favor for Abel's offering, but not his, Cain is furious with God. He could not even hide his anger. His face was fallen, verse five. He was depressed. He was was broken. He was despondent over it. His, His face on the outside revealed his heart on the inside. You see, when Cain gave to the Lord, he did not give his best, but rather he was, he was stingy. He was tight-fisted in his giving. He was selfish and prideful. When God warned him of what his attitude would lead to in verse 7, he rejected God's wisdom, and he ends up murdering his own brother out of jealousy and pride. And then, even after killing his brother, when God confronted him, Cain lied about it. I don't know where my brother is. And then he gets snarky with God. Am I my brother's keeper? Furthermore, once God disciplines him, verse 13, Cain is more upset over his consequences than he is over his sin. Maybe you know someone like that. That whenever they experience the consequences for their foolish behavior, they're more upset over consequences than over their sin itself. That's what's going on with Cain. And his anger is revealing the posture of his heart. His attitude is selfish. He's like a toddler who's not getting what he wants. He's he's being very stingy in his offering to the Lord because his heart is not satisfied in who God is. I want you to imagine for a moment that you're at the office 
and a fire breaks out. The fire begins to consume the room that you are in. Smoke is filling the room. The alarm is going off. There's chaos in the building and you're trapped and you can't get out. The smoke begins to fill your lungs and you collapse to the ground. And at the last moment, the door opens and in comes a crew of firefighters. They scoop you up into their arms. They take you outside the building. They resuscitate your life. They bring you back to full health and they save your life. A few weeks go by. You want to express your gratitude for these people who have just saved your life. You invite them to your home for a meal. The firefighters show up. When they walk in, your house is a mess. You've not cleaned it in a long time. There's no place for them to sit. They kind of sit crisscross applesauce. They get some paper plates. You go into the refrigerator and then you just kind of pull out some leftover spaghetti. <laughs> and then you just kind of open it up and you, oh, well, let's not do that. That's bad. That's bad. I shouldn't have done that. Wow. <laughs> and you throw some leftovers at them. What does this act communicate of how much you appreciate them? You see, when you realize what Jesus Christ has done for you and you become stingy towards him, you're giving him leftovers. You're saying, I don't really value what you've done for me. You see, what the gospel has shown us is that not only has God woken you up and given you life and breath, he's given you a new life. He's given you a new heart. Because of the death of Jesus on the cross, your sins are forgiven. Beloved, you're forgiven. You are forgiven of all of your sin. You've been adopted into God's family. You now have an inheritance. He gives you a new name. He says, you belong to me now. He gives you a purpose and a hope and a joy. You have a reason to wake up tomorrow full of laughter and confidence because you have Christ in you, the hope of glory. When you realize what God has done for you in the gospel, it compels you towards a life of lavish generosity. What Cain is doing here is that he is just giving God his leftovers. He's giving him some of his crop. He's showing that his heart has not really been enraptured by the grace of God. You see, you are alive only because of the grace of Jesus. He has transformed your life and you're now a different person. And as a picture of your gratitude for his kindness towards you is that you want to be generous. You desire it. You see, God is not interested in mechanical obedience. Okay, God wants a heart that is so full of joy. It's humbled by the gospel and it leads to a life of radical joy-filled obedience. Cain thought he could give God his leftovers and receive God's praise. But instead, when he was confronted with the truth of his offering, when God held up a mirror to Cain's heart, he got angry. You see, oftentimes when people are confronted with truth, they get right or they get mad. They get right when they humble themselves. They realize, oh man, I have messed up. I'm in desperate need of grace. Or they get mad. It's a posture of pride. They get angry. 
There's a sense in which of, of, of pride in which I am self-righteous. Who are you to tell me? Okay, God is unpacking for Cain what's happening in his heart and his response is pride. It's anger. He has just given God his leftovers and he's upset that God is not showing him favor and blessing and affirmation over what he has done for him. You see, God here is so patient with Cain. He, he, he questions Cain right here in verse 6. He asks him questions not to shame him. God is not like a police officer who's brutally beating an innocent person. That's not God. That's not what he's doing here. God here is being so patient. He's drawing Cain out with questions, just like he did back in chapter 3 with Cain's parents. Adam, where are you? Who told you you were naked? God was questioning Adam. God was questioning Eve. He's calling them out of darkness into the light. And here we see where God is calling Cain out of darkness into the light. He's calling him. He's not scolding him. He's drawing him out, bringing him to the point where he can admit his sin. He can repent and run towards the Lord. Unfortunately, Cain's anger then leads to the very first murder. He kills his own brother. His evil heart of jealousy and pride and rage leads him to destroy his own flesh and blood. The very seed of the woman who Eve thought would crush the head of the serpent indeed crushes the head of his own brother. Rather than being repentant for his sinful disobedience, he's hostile to God. Jude chapter 1 verse 11 warns against people walking in the way of Cain, seeking personal gain instead of Obedience to the Lord. First John chapter 3, verse 12 says, We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brothers righteous. You see, God was calling Cain away from sin and away from shame, calling him to walk in righteousness and his in God's own acceptance if he would just repent and return to the Lord. But he didn't. He remained hard-hearted. He was angry with God. He rejected the Lord's warning of sin crouching at his door. And because he doesn't humble himself, he falls into the enemy's trap. You see, a stingy offering is a mark of a heart that's not been overwhelmed by the gospel. Someone who doesn't realize who God is and what he's done for them. You see, a stingy Christian is an oxymoron. Those two words don't go together. In fact, we are a people who are over the top generous. Why? Because God has been generous to us in the gospel. And that's what we see the second part here with Abel. We see an offering done right. Sacrificial giving to the Lord from a generous heart. God is comparing and contrasting two different brothers, two different offerings, two different types of hearts. Cain was stingy and selfish. Abel was sacrificial and had a generous heart. Cain gave little, kept the best for himself. Abel gave his best, his firstborn of the flock, verse 4. He gave the fat portions, meaning he gave the very best parts. and He offered it up to God. You see, God cares far more about your why than your what. God cares far more about your why than your what. He cares more about why you're giving than what you're giving. He's interested in the posture of your heart. God weighs our motives. And he's looking past the outward facade. He's looking right here. 
1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7. It says, The Lord does not look at things that man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the what? Heart. God is interested in your heart. He's not impressed by the size of the gift. Brother, he's impressed by the size of the faith by which it's given. You see, God loves sacrificial giving that flows from a generous heart. One afternoon, Jesus was at the temple and he gathers his disciples together and he points out to them an old widow woman. She's old, she's decrepit, she's small. And Jesus says, hey boys, 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 come here, come here, come here, come here. Look at this, look at this right here. Watch this, watch this, watch this. And the disciples are looking at him point to an old widow. And she goes to the temple treasury and she gives an offering of two copper coins. And Jesus says, hey boys, she just gave more than everybody. Everybody else gave out of their surplus. She gave all that she had to live on. You see, it's not the amount that God is interested in, it's the heart. A heart that is overwhelmed by the graciousness and the generosity of God. In light of who he is, it compels us towards a life of generosity. That's what's going on with Abel. God looked at Abel's offering and he rejoiced over the faith by which he gave it. Hebrews chapter 11, verse four says, by faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. Isn't that interesting? That the faith of Abel, demonstrated by his generous giving, is a testimony to future generations. That when you and I so believe God and live a life of generosity, future generations are going to talk about it. They're going to talk about the generosity of those who've gone before him, of those who've gone before them. We are people who have the privilege of living a life of generosity, saying, God, my hands are open. I'm going to give you all of what I have, all of who I am. My life is yours. I've got nothing without you anyways. My life, my breath, my possessions, my strength, my energy, my time, all that I have, God, comes from you. You are the source. I am just the manager, the steward who oversees what you have entrusted to me. And so, oh God, would you find me as someone who is over the top generous in what you have given to me. Ultimately, we see this in the gospel where God generously gives us his best, his one and only son. He did not give us his leftovers when it came to the gospel. He gave us his best, his perfect sacrifice, his one and only son who was an offering for us. And God gave his best to rescue you for himself. We as a church, our mission is to, Westwood exists to invest in people who will impact their world for Jesus. We get this from the Great Commission. We're a Great Commission people. We want to see all nations and our neighbors come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And the way that you and I get to work together to advance the mission of the gospel is through gospel generosity. It's by opening up our hearts and our lives and our hands and our pockets and our wallets and saying, God, you can have it because this all came from you. And I'm going to trust you with all that you have entrusted to me. Now, let's not forget our motivation for giving. Our motivation for giving is not law. It's grace. 
We don't give because of the law, because we have to. We give because we want to. Law says you ought to do this. You have to do this. Well, the gospel has changed that. Where now it's not a have to. I get to do this. In light of who Christ is, in light of what he's done for me, he's rescued me from sin, rescued me from death and hell and judgment. I'm now free. I have an eternal home in heaven with him. What more can I give back to him than my own life? And so now I have the privilege of being generous with what God has entrusted to me. In this brief temporary life, we get to give back to the Lord because of what he has given to us in his son, in what Jesus has done. You see, this story isn't even about Abel at all because there is going to come another Abel, a greater Abel, a truer Abel who would come and offer his perfect innocent life as a sacrifice, one who would offer his entire life up as an act of worship, one who would be murdered by his own brothers, one who is the greater Abel who would be nailed to a cross as an act of worship, one who dies not for his sins but for the sins of the world, that Jesus is the perfect sacrifice whose perfect blood was shed to provide forgiveness for anybody who turns from their sin and trusts in him by faith. Jesus is the true and greater Abel who provides salvation through his perfect offering of himself. And it's yours for the taking. He's free, but he demands everything. He, writer, writer of Hebrews says this, you have come to Jesus, the one who mediates the new covenant between God and man and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. You see, the blood of Jesus calls out from the ground to God as a testimony of his perfect work, that Jesus was the one who died the death that we deserved. His blood was shed so that in him we might live forever. He was placed into a borrowed tomb, but only stayed there for three days. On the third day, he came back to life. He is the one who holds the keys over sin, death, hell, and the grave. He is the one who is sovereign over all. He is the one that you can trust with all of your heart and your life. Your eternity hangs in the balance, not upon your good works, but upon his. And he has sealed it by his perfect covenant through his shed blood on the cross for you. Oh, what a savior, what a king, a master, a friend, someone who's worthy of worship and worthy of our best. Oh, that we as a church would continually pursue a life of generosity, saying, God, you can have all of my heart, all of my life. God, I'm not gonna give you my leftovers. God, I'm gonna give you my best. So Kenneth, what are you calling us to? What's your impact point? It's this, examine your heart and commit to give God your best. As you think about your time that you have left, give God your best. As you think about your energy, give God your best. As you think about the money that you possess, give God your best. Because here's reality. If you're a follower of Jesus, there's coming a day, 2 Corinthians 5, in which you will stand before the judgment seat of Christ and receive a reward. Now, this is different than the great white throne judgment. There's coming a day in which those who do not know Jesus, they will be cast out of his presence. 
But those who do know Jesus, we will then go to a second judgment. It's, it's less judgment and it's more reward. The, 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 the language of 2 Corinthians 5 is one of which you're at the Olympics receiving your medal. You're receiving a crown, an affirmation over the life that you've lived as a follower of Jesus. I'm not sure about you, but I, I want to stand on that day full of joy and confidence saying, I gave my best. Lord, I have offered my life to you as an act of worship. And as your pastor, I want to prepare you for that moment so that when you stand before Jesus, you can stand there hidden in Christ, confident of who you are, hidden in him, your identity rooted and established in him. You are mature as a follower of Jesus, but you also will receive a reward from Jesus for your faithfulness to him. Oh, that we would stand there mature and complete. One of the ways we get there is with a life of generosity. And once you say, God, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you my best. Here we are as a church in a few moments, we're gonna be voting as a church on our 2024 budget. In fact, we're not calling it a budget anymore. It's called the impact fund. The budget communicates maintenance. We're not maintaining anything here. We're keeping our foot on the gas and we are investing in the gospel. When you and I give, we are looking to impact the world for Jesus. And we want to give, we want to see the gospel go forth to the nations and our neighbors so that all people might come to a saving knowledge of Jesus. Here we all are also as a church, we're praying and preparing for some new space that we need as a church. Uh, a new multi-purpose building that will help us reach te more teenagers, kids, special needs families with the gospel that we want to create a multi-purpose space that'll help us expand our Hispanic ministry to reach those facing addiction, provide counseling ministry. We as a church want to create new space so that we can reach more people with the gospel. It's going to take resources. So we're praying, but we're also preparing. Maybe God's putting on your heart to give. You're thinking, man, I want to give towards something. You can give towards the building fund. I don't know what that's going to look like yet. We're praying and preparing and Lord willing, at the beginning of next year, we're going to get into that. But I don't know what that looks like, but I mean, we're praying. Let's seek the Lord. What an opportunity to be generous. But you see, generosity, y'all, it's not about a dollar amount. It's about the Godward posture of your heart. When my kids were young, they used to play with certain kinds of toys. And they would come and they would make food for me. They would put it on plates and they'd stack it all together and they would work hard providing a fresh dish saying, hey dad, I made you dinner and they'd offer it to me. So what did I do? I act like I eat it. Oh, so good. What a great job. It's delicious. This is a lot like what our offering is like. God doesn't need our offering. He's self-sufficient on his own. But he invites us to bring our best. To offer to him out of love. To say, this is what I want to give to you. It's not much in light of who you are. But you're my father who loves me and you care for me. And I just want to give you my best. I want to be generous. Oh, that you and I would be like Abel that we would give God our best. But more than that, 
that we would be like the true and greater Abel who gave his best for us and we follow him and we love him and trust him because he is the Lord Jesus Christ who generously opened up his hands and died on the cross so that we can come back to our Father.